start out by asking you a, a question this morning. Many times we start our sermons with, with questions, and I think it's a, a good way to introduce something. But <clears throat> I want to ask you a question. Do you have freedom of speech? Now, you may answer that question. You say, well, of course I do. I'm a citizen of the United States. I have freedom of speech. That's my constitutional right. But more specifically, I want to ask you as a Christian, do you have freedom of speech? Now, I want you to think on that for a minute this morning as we study this. You know, today... I'm most assuredly probably going to ruffle some feathers because some of the things that I'm going to say may not necessarily always be what you've agreed with. And I want you to know that I'm not coming from a liberal or a conservative point of view, but simply from a biblical point of view of what the Bible has to say about us having freedom of speech. I'm not trying to get you to be anti-American or renounce the Constitution. I'm patriotic just as much as anybody in here. In fact, I served in the United States Navy to support and defend that Constitution that we hold so dear. But does the Founding Fathers' view of freedom of speech, does that line up with God's view of freedom of speech and how we should be as a Christian? You know, the purpose of the First Amendment was, was to guarantee ourselves against censorship and be able to speak out against things if we did not agree with them these the king that was over us at the time of england we were able to be able to uh renounce that and man was to be free to be able to say the things that he wanted to be able to speak this first amendment right gave you the the right to be able to say anything that you want necessarily whether it's right or it's wrong and short of what the law considers either liable or slander you can say just about anything you want, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, whether it hurts people or whether it doesn't, whether you like a particular ethnic group or not, whether you agree with liberals or whether you agree with Democrats and all these other things that we have guaranteed by our freedom of speech. And it seems that many in the church today want to view Scripture through the eyes of the Constitution. And they think, well, we have the freedom of speech like this, and then that taints their view, and they apply it towards the Scripture and justify it somehow that they can do that or say these things. But is that really the right way to look at it? Or should we view our constitutional right of speech through the eyes of Scripture and how God says that we should be as a Christian with our speech? You know, by man's supreme law of the Constitution, you're guaranteed this right because you're a citizen of the United States of America. If you're born here or otherwise a naturalized citizen, you're guaranteed this right. Therefore, your allegiance lies with the United States of America because you are a citizen here. But I want to ask you a question. Even though we live on this earth, where is your citizenship? Where is your true citizenship when you became a Christian? And that's what we want to talk about this morning. And you'll see the title of our lesson is Freedom of Speech. Do you have it? Jesus said in John chapter 18 and verse 36, it says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. 
the type of kingdom that Jesus was bringing upon this earth was going to be a spiritual kingdom. It wasn't going to be something that was physical that would be controlled by earthly kings and earthly governors and, and such like. But it was going to be a spiritual kingdom, one that rested in the following of laws that were of a spiritual nature. One to where we had a spiritual king that sat on the throne of David, which is in heaven. This was the type of kingdom that Jesus was going to set up. And the church was going to be that kingdom. And we were going to be put into this kingdom that was a spiritual kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul said there, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So this gives us the idea that we were in this kingdom of darkness, which was the kingdom of sin. So we kind of enjoyed dual citizenship here, if you will, at the time. The United States of America didn't exist then, but yet people lived upon this earth, but they were also in Satan's kingdom because they were controlled by sin. But it says here that we were translated out of that kingdom into the kingdom of his dear son which is the church we had transferred our citizenship even though we were still in the world we were not of the world anymore we transferred our citizenship you know if you were to do the same thing if you wanted to god forbid go off and live in england and you wanted to become a, a citizen over there more than likely yes they do have such thing as called dual citizenship but if you wanted to go over there and become a citizen of England, normally what you do is, is that you give up your citizenship in the United States of America and you become a citizen of England. Therefore, you go by the laws and the restrictions and whatever it else is of the new place that you have placed your citizenship with. And likewise, whenever we were transferred into the kingdom of God or the church, we transplanted our citizenship. Even though we, as Americans, have a citizenship here in the United States, a physical citizenship, when we became Christians, we transferred our citizenship. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So now, our citizenship is in heaven. It's God's law that is supreme to us. We still reside and we still obey the laws of the United States of America. But if God's law trumps what these laws in America say, then we go by God's laws because that's where our true citizenship is. That's the citizenship that matters. So I want you to understand this morning that whenever you came out of the waters of baptism, you gave up your freedom of speech as per what the Constitution says that you have it. We have it up to an extent, but only up to the extent where it does not violate God's laws. Because you are now under a citizenship of a new kingdom, and your speech is now censored to some extent. So when we think about <clears throat> these things, according to God's law, we must control our speech. We don't have complete free reign to just be able to blurt out anything that we choose because, well, we're an American and the Constitution says I can do that. That's not what God's law says. 
You know, God did create us with a tongue. And he did and give us he did and give deed give us free choice in the beginning. We were able to choose whether we wanted to serve God or whether we didn't want to serve God. But if you do make that choice, then God wants you to control your tongue, to censor the things that you say, that you don't have that necessary complete freedom of speech as you once had when you before you were a Christian. You know, the tongue, the tongue is, is versatile. <clears throat> it's a, a wonderful and intriguing organ in the body, if you will. It's used for many things. Uh, a lot of people used to say that the tongue was the strongest muscle that's in the body. Really, I looked that up, and that's not necessarily true. There are many more muscles in the body that are quite stronger than the tongue. But... <clears throat> In respect to that, though, the reason that they probably say that is because the tongue, unlike other muscles, you know, if we were to work out and we use a lot of our, our muscles, you know, calf muscles and glutes and, and all these other different muscles that we have, and I don't know them all, so Andrea's going to, don't call me by the wrong thing, but I don't know all these other muscles, but if you work these muscles constantly, eventually they tire out. The amazing thing about the tongue is is that you can keep working the tongue by your speech and it doesn't wear out. So a lot of people think that it's the most uh, strongest muscle in the body because it doesn't tire. But in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21, there's something that I want you to realize about the tongue. It says that there in Proverbs 18 and 21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. You know, the tongue has the power to give life and has the power to give death whenever we wield our tongue in speech. It is the most powerful weapon that the human being can yield. You know, wield, excuse me. You know, <clears throat> the reason that the, the Word of God is so strong, you know, if we just had a Bible and you just lay that Bible here on this table, the Word of God is still powerful, yes. But the Word of God isn't so powerful when it's just sitting here without it being used. But when you open it up, when you use the tongue and you speak the Word of God, that is when it becomes powerful. So the Word of God is able to give life, but it's also the power of the tongue is able to destroy people by the things that we say. And James chapter 1 and verse 26, Brother James there wrote, If anyone among you thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And I hope you catch that word, useless. In the King James Version, it says vain. You look up that word, and it means worthless. So all the things that we do in Christianity, whether it be ministry, or the preaching the gospel, or all these other things, but if we're not willing and not able to control our tongue to where it doesn't, hurt people or destroy people it says then all those other things that we do our whole religion it's vain it's worthless unless you control your tongue we're going to spend some time here in James chapter 3 and we're going to see what James really had to say about the power of the tongue in verses 1 through 12 of James chapter 3 beginning there in verse 1 
and 2, he says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, I know that in context here, James is talking about things that were, are going to be slipped whenever we teach. And that's why he's saying, you know, not many of us should be teachers. It's a very high responsibility that those of us have that teach for us not to stumble in word. But I think the principle goes even that much farther when we compare it with all the other things that the scripture says about the tongue and how deadly it is and what it can do is the fact that the idea is here that control of the tongue is what leads to perfection of the man. It is the thing that is also most difficult for us to do is control of the tongue. In verse 3 through 6, he says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Also they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. You know, I used to look at this and think, okay, the reason he's putting the bit in the horse's mouth is, is that's the controlling of the tongue. But yes, the bit is the small thing that he's talking about there. The rudder is the small thing that he's talking about here in the ship, but it's not getting control of the ship. It's the rudder, or as he replies to, is the tongue, or the bit, is what causes the horse to go to and fro. And if it's unrestricted, once you put a bit in a horse's mouth, if there's nothing to control the bit, then that horse can go wherever. That horse can end up running off a cliff if it's so desired but you connect a bridle to it, and that's what you use to control the horse. Okay? It's on the rudder of the ship. It's the rudder is the tongue that makes that ship go wherever, and if it's un, uh, unkept, if you will, or unrestricted, that rudder can go wherever. The ship can make it go, or the winds can drive that ship wherever, and this ship can end up running amok. It could go run up on land. It could run into another ship. But when you connect the shaft and the helm to this ship, you're able to control that. And this is what the idea, what James is wanting us to see here, is that the tongue is very powerful, though. It's that little thing that can make you go wherever. It can get you in a world of trouble if you're not careful, if it's not bridled. You know, he said... Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. That's what he's compared to. The tongue, it may be small, but it does a huge amount. It does great things. It says, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. You know, you could go out and you could take a match and you could strike it in a forest and it has a flame that's about that big usually that burns on the end of a match. And you can set that down in dry grass in a forest and that thing can set ablaze flames that are uh, tens if not a hundred feet tall and it can wipe out millions of acres of forest 
All from that little bitty flame. And that's what he's describing that the tongue is, is when the tongue is not restricted, it's not kept in check, is that whenever it's used, it can set on fire and it can destroy people if it runs amok. If it's not kept under control, it can do lots of damage. Likewise, we can be consumed by the actions of our tongue if we don't keep our tongues in check. If you're going to go to take that same fire, though, and you were out camping in the woods and you wanted to make this fire, and if you wanted to keep it under control, what do you do? You put a stone ring around it. Normally is what you see people build a campfire. And you put something around it to contain that fire to make sure that it does not get out of control. And that's what James is talking about here that we need to do with the tongue. We have to keep it from getting out of control and just running amok and letting it say whatever that we want to do. We do not have that power. In verse 7 through 8, he says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Brothers and sisters, do not underestimate the power of the human tongue and the words that you speak. It can be good and it can be evil. He, James says it's unruly. It can't be tamed. And <clears throat> as far as I know, Jesus is the only one that has ever come to this earth that tamed the tongue. But <clears throat> what James is saying here is we have to be able to control it, but it's almost impossible that you will not be able to control it to the point where you will never offend anybody. But that is your striving. That is what you should do, is to strive to the point that you never say anything that offends people. To keep it in check. That is how you try to tame the tongue. But no matter how you try, you will slip. No man can truly tame the tongue. And he continues on there in verse 9 through 12. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. James here describes how we use this tongue for good and evil. Brother Jerry, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute, <clears throat> about all the things that go on in this world today. You know, the same tongue that we come many times on the Lord's Day and we come praise God with, and then sometimes go out into the world and we share things and we say things that destroy other people and or curse other people because you know <clears throat> we're two-sided if you will we're saying things in one respect and then worshiping god with another he says my brethren these things ought not to be so you cannot go out and speak against people who were created in the image of god just like you were and expect it not to hurt people he said these things ought not to be so. We should have control over the things that we say. 
So I want to talk to you a little bit about how to control the tongue. In Proverbs 13 and chapter chapter 13 and verse 3, it says, He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. You know, it's a very serious thought that it tells us about how often that we open our mouths. This gives us the idea that we ought to keep it in check that we ought to have it closed more than we have it open. And seeing as how evil the tongue is and can be and how easy it is to let it slip, then you need to be aware of that and be conscious of keeping it in check. And one of the best ways that you can do that, and there's not a lot of ways that I'm going to share with you this morning really, other than two particular ways, and the first one is prayer. Simply put, Psalm 141 and verse 3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. We should be praying that to God every day. That God helps us control the things that come out of our mouth. That He puts bars on our mouth to keep us from saying the things that we don't need to be saying to people. Especially in the turbulent time that we live in right now. And the second thing is, is simply, and I don't know if this is so oversimplifying or not, but think before you speak. That is a simple thing. I've been told that many times, and I have had to use this as being a supervisor. A lot of times in my job is to think before I speak something to an employee because things can be taken the wrong way. It's just a natural fact. But I want to share with you some things about this, of about thinking. One of the things, and I'm going to give you five things that you can ask yourself before you, whether it's in a conversation with somebody or whether you're sharing it on social media, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, is ask yourself first, the thing that you're going to say or the thing that you're going to share with people, is it true? In Proverbs 8, in verse 6 through 7, Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things, for my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Now, it's pretty much a given for any Christian that we know that we shouldn't lie, that we should deal truthfully with everyone. The things that we say should be truthful. And the things that we're going to talk about in a minute, Things that we share should be truthful. And if there's untruth in it, then we should not share those things. The second thing we need to realize is, is it helpful? Proverbs 15, again in Proverbs, verse 23, says, A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. You know, there's a lot of times that we can come up with a problem or a situation where we're talking to somebody and if whatever we blurt out in that situation if it's not helpful to the situation if it makes things worse you ought to think about what the things that you're going to say is it helpful or will it make things worse will it inflame the situation or will it calm the situation ask yourself is the thing that you're going to say is it helpful The third thing you should ask yourself is, is it inspiring? And all of these that we're talking about come 
the, the idea comes directly from Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, it says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now normally, we use this verse to talk about that's the reason why we assemble. Hebrews 10, 25, about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. But this considering one another in order to stir up love and good works, is that the only time that we do that? Is that the assembly? Or do we do it with each other on a daily basis? If we're texting each other, or if we're posting to each other, or calling each other on the phone and talking, having lunch together, is that not always what we are doing, is considering one another and inspiring one another to love and good works, to provoke each other? And the things that we say should be inspiring to one another, not tear each other down. The fourth thing that you should ask yourself is, is it necessary? This is where a big part of it is, is asking yourself, is it necessary that I say something? Sometimes it's not. But in Ephesians 4 and verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, I'm not saying that anything that we say in this life, we can't just have an idle conversation about somebody. This is not the situation I'm talking about. I'm talking about a situation where you think that you might have necessary input into a situation. Is it good for necessary edification? Will it impart grace to the hearers? Will it have a good effect or will it have a detrimental effect if you share what is in your mind? And fifth and final thing is, is ask yourself, is it kind? And that should be the whole basis of behind everything that we say is whether it's kind and loving or not. In Colossians chapter 4, in verse 6, it says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. <clears throat> you know, one of the worst things that you can do is to come off like a jerk whenever you're answering somebody about something. Or come across like you know better or all these other things, but to come across kindly and with love behind it is what should be your first and foremost idea of whenever you go to say something to somebody and it involves you speaking words to this person, is it kind or is it harsh? Is it loving or is it not? And the biggest thing after you do this and after you think about whether you say something I want you to realize what Proverbs 17 and 28 says. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. You know, sometimes the best thing to do is just to keep your mouth shut. Simple. If you can't, you know, there's an old saying, if you can't say nice, don't say nothing at all. I'm sure that's a biblical principle somewhere. I can't find it in the scriptures, but it does apply because it's true. If you don't have something good that's not necessary for edification or doesn't inspire or all of these things like that and it's going to come out wrong and it's going to come out harsh, it's better just to keep your mouth shut. Now I want to, <clears throat> for a few moments this morning, I want to give you a real world application of this lesson. I want you to know, and I'm going to preface this by saying, 
you know, if we were walking along down a path and I see a hole, one thing I'm not going to do is just let you fall into that hole. And the whole reason why I'm standing up here this morning is not necessarily because I believe anybody of us has an uncontrolled tongue, but from what I see in the world and on social media, there's a big problem. And I want to help you try to keep from falling in the hole of what is out there. And that hole, believe it or not, is, is Facebook. And there's a lot of things that are going on on Facebook that I see. And there are many, actually, that are in the church abroad that are falling into this same hole that really aren't doing what James says about controlling their tongue. You know, there's a lot of things that's going on Facebook and Twitter and all these things right now of about COVID and Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter and All Lives Matter, politics, liberal, conservative, all these issues that go on. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know this morning that that is not your cause. Your cause is Jesus Christ and Him crucified only. That is your cause. You know, Paul stated in 1 Corinthians, in the very beginning, he says that I made sure that over anything, the only thing that I knew among you was Christ and Him crucified. It didn't matter about all the worldly wisdom. He didn't want to come to Him with all these other fancy ways of saying things. He made sure that it was just Christ and Him crucified. That's what mattered to Paul. That's what should matter to you. And I want to propose to you that if we spent as much time promoting Jesus Christ and that cause on Facebook as we do COVID and Black Lives Matter and all these other things that we promote, just think of what the result might be. If we replaced all those things with Jesus instead. Brother Jerry talked about in his prayer this morning, one of the things that he doesn't see or you ever hear about is God in all this. Well, we claim to get oversimplified when we say that, well, all of these problems, if we would just preach Jesus Christ to these people and convert them to Jesus Christ, these problems will go away. And we get accused of being oversimplomatic or oversimplifying. Oversimplomatic, I don't think is a word. It is mine now. But the idea, though, is, is that people in social media out there, they want you to take a side. They want you to be on one side or the other. They want you to be polarized. God is not a God of division. Paul stated it in the beginning of Corinthians. That's why he wanted to make sure that he was only known him, Christ, crucified. That was it. That was what mattered to Paul. That's what should matter to us. That should be the message that we're out there speaking is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If you follow those things, if you can convert people to Christ, these problems will go away. Now I know it may be, uh, <clears throat> I forget the word. Anyway, I was looking for a word that kind of describes Jeremy. He's always so gung-ho and uh, Huh? Well, no, it's not uplifting. It's a... 
anyway, I'll just go on. But the, the words slipped my mind. The idea is that we want everybody to end up coming to Christ. Now, that's not necessarily going to happen. We know it won't happen. But we know that the message is true, that if we go out there and we promote Jesus Christ and Him only, and you can get people to follow that, then all of these other causes fall off. They're not necessary to go after because they get solved in the problem of becoming a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's what controls it. So the first thing we ought to think of, and I want you to be prepared as those of us who are on social media, is to apply that think rule. Think about the things that you post on there. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary or is it kind? You know, if you see somebody else's post on there and you can look at that post and you can see that it has the, the spirit in it of causing division or wanting you to pick a side or inflaming a certain side, don't add fuel to the fire by coming back with this other side that's going to fuel it more. Either refrain from commenting on the post or try to steer them back with scripture even if that's all you post it's just a scripture Jesus did it when he was tempted by Satan Satan wanted him to do certain things Jesus answered with it is written that's how you combat those things if you're going to post something check your post make sure that it doesn't have anything in there that's a spirit of division or that's inflaming if it's so <clears throat> then either edit it where it's not or don't post it. Simply put. And remember, regardless of the truth, in both cases, sometimes that you can go out and you can share something on Facebook, and yes, it may be true, it may be inflaming to a side, but sometimes, even if you're, what you're posting is true, and you go out there and you post it anyway, you may be right, but you could be wrong. You could be wrong to them, but you could also be wrong by the way of what you do to make that person get inflamed. Whether it was right or not, whether what you said was true or not, if you cause that other person to stumble, you could be in the wrong. And one thing I want to make sure <clears throat> is that you realize that sometimes they, people think, well, all I did was share something. I didn't write any text in there. You know, I just shared this post. Well, if there's something in that post you think or know of that you know that it's inflaming, that causes division, that causes people to pick a side, or that upbraids people, you can't just post it and say, well, you know, I didn't text anything in there. I, I just shared a post. You can still be at fault. It's passive-aggressive. It's a way to still create division. You're still doing the same thing even without writing anything. You know, Facebook, though, I will say this. Facebook is a great thing if it's used right. You know, we reach a lot of people because of some of the ads that we share. We advertise. We post videos. People doing Facebook Live. It came into a very good thing during the COVID when everybody was cooped up inside and we had all these live videos, it was a great thing. But on the other hand, 
It's used as a debating platform, and it should not be, especially by those of the household of God. Because on a debating platform, when you start texting, one thing that you lose in all of that is you lose voice inflection. You don't see people's faces. It is very easy to take something that is texted out wrong. Really easy. Give you an example. I could do the same thing. Jeremy could, could probably text me something on my phone and send me a text message. And because I can't see Jeremy's face and I can't hear a voice inflection of anything that he says, I might very well, I might take that wrong. I may have to go back and ask him, what necessarily did you mean by that? Now, if Jeremy was to say that very same thing to me in person, I would know exactly what he meant because I know Jeremy. And usually everything that comes out is with a smile on his face. And it's loving and it's made to be that way. But you can take things the wrong way. The same way is when you type something back, people can take it the wrong way to what you mean it to. So, <clears throat> I want to suggest to you that in, instead of always replying to something, if you have the opportunity, call the person instead. Ask them what they mean. Have the conversation with them on the phone if you can do it. Now we have technology. We've got Zoom. Great thing. we got FaceTime. For those of you who may have an iPhone. They, I don't remember what they call it on Android. But we have all these other different ways that we can converse with people to take care of this problem if we disagree or if we want to talk about something that they said rather than doing it by that way in a, in a post. And do not think that that is not using your tongue because it is. There's an old saying about the pen being mightier than the sword, and it is. The written word, your text, your post, can say volumes to people. Even just sharing something where you don't say anything at all can speak volumes to people. And if you feel wronged or something on Facebook, don't air it out on Facebook. Don't post back and get in a war. Go to that person. That's what Matthew chapter 18 and verse 17 says. But go to that person and talk to them about the problem if you feel like that you've been wronged. And on top of that, if you can't control it, if there's no way that you can keep from posting things that are not inflammatory or that may make people mad or offend people, then as Matthew chapter 5 states, cut it out. You know, he says, Jesus said, you know, if your, your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter in to the kingdom one-handed than it is to lose your soul in hell. So he's not saying here that we need to literally cut our tongue out if we can't keep from saying anything. It's the idea of what Jesus wants is do away with whatever it is that's causing you to stumble. And first and foremost, and lastly, I want you to remember that when you're on Facebook, social media, any social media, you represent the church. Not just this congregation, but you, resent, you represent Jesus Christ and His church and the standard of His people. In conclusion, once you know in the end, just because you have the freedom of speech, 
in this country or the liberty to do so doesn't mean that you should always do it. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12, you know, there he said that all things were lawful to him, but not all things were expedient. Paul was saying, I may have the right to do so, but it doesn't mean that I have to do it. And just because we have this opportunity doesn't mean that we're obligated or have to use it. We can control the things that we should do. I want to leave you with one final verse. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 15, Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Now I know here, in context, I see Nathan's looking at me like, What? Food? <clears throat> the idea of the context here is of about that Paul knew that meat sacrificed to idols, it was no big thing. But if there was a brother there who thought it was a big thing, then Paul realized that his liberty, he should not go ahead and use that liberty and eat that meat if it offended his brother and caused his brother to stumble. Because that brother might have felt that it was wrong to eat that meat that was sacrificed to that idol. And if it caused him to be weaker in the faith, or if it caused that younger, that other brother to be judgmental towards Paul, then he says, I won't do it. Just because I have the right to do it doesn't mean that I can always do it. It may be lawful, but it wasn't expedient. And I want you to realize <clears throat> that he's saying here about not destroying the principle out of here, what I want you to take is do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. You know, the one for whom Christ died, yes, it was us, we're the church, but Romans 5 and 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly were us too. Everyone in the world was the ungodly. So don't destroy the other people on Facebook and wherever that you may talk. And, and I'm not talking about just Facebook. I'm talking about whatever situation that you're in. Do not destroy those people thinking that you have the freedom to say whatever you want, but do it with the idea of what God wants you to do. And that is that it needs to be purposeful. It needs to be helpful. It needs to be kind. And those things of how Jesus was whenever he spoke to people. Think about these things. Is your current use of your liberty today, are you destroying people for whom Christ died. I want you to think about this morning, and we're going to sing a song that has been selected. I want you to think about, are you pushing people away with the things that you either post on Facebook, the things that you say? Are you pushing people farther away from God, or are you attracting them to God? Because your tongue will do one of those two things. If you are, and you believe that you are doing those things, Today's the day to make a change, to do that. We would like to, to help you if you feel like that you need prayer on your behalf to change this. We stand ready to help you. Or if you've never obeyed the gospel and you feel like you've been sufficiently taught that we encourage you to come forward at this time as well. Please come forward, have a seat on the front while we stand and while we sing.